Engaging Leader Podcast, episode 132, The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever, featuring Michael Bungay-Stanier. inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. What if coaching could become a regular, informal part of your day so that you and your team could work less hard and have more impact? That's the promise Michael Bungay-Stanier makes in his latest book, The Coaching Habit. Michael is the founder and senior partner of Box of Crayons, a company that helps organizations all over the world do less good work and more great work. They're best known for their coaching programs that helped time-crunched managers coach in 10 minutes or less. Michael is also the host of the longtime podcast, The Great Work Podcast, and he's written a number of books, the best known of which has sold almost 100,000 copies, Do More Great Work. Michael Bungay-Stanier, welcome to the show. Pal, we are here and I am up for this, Jesse, so bring it on, that's what I say. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Michael, what are some reasons why coaching others actually helps you as the leader, too? Ah, look, that is the perfect place to start because so often when we're into this whole coaching conversation, all the focus is on the benefit the person getting coached gets from their coaching. And we know what that is, you know, increased focus, increased sense of empowerment, increased sense of autonomy, all good things. But one of the barriers about why coaching doesn't really take off in organizations is because it's not entirely clear why the manager or the leader would like to be more coach-like because they're like, you know what, I, good for them, but you know, I am overwhelmed by the amount of work I have. I have this, uh, you know, I'm just trying to keep my head above water. I don't have time to add coaching onto all the other things that I'm trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. But here's the key thing. It, Coaching can actually be a real boon for the manager and the leader, particularly if you come to it understanding that coaching can be an everyday 10 minutes or less act. And here are the three vicious circles that coaching can kind of break through. The first is if you've ever felt you have an over-dependent team. So, you know, this is what the vicious circle sounds like. You start giving them advice. So they come to you for the advice. So you give them more advice. So they keep coming to you for the advice. And before you know it, your team has no ability to act on their own anymore. They just come to you for guidance, approval, the thumbs up, whatever it might be. That is exhausting for you because obviously you're now doing everybody else's work, but it's also disempowering for the team. You know, they don't feel or they have any autonomy. They don't have any capacity or self-sufficiency. Yeah, and you as the leader, you can actually start looking down at them. Like that. You start feeling like they're lazy or incompetent when basically you just created that. Oh, see, that's, per- that's a perfect link because that's exactly what happens. You're like... Oh, these people, can't they think for themselves? Can't they act on their own? Aren't they self-sufficient? And it's like, this is a monster you have contributed (laughs) to creating. Okay, so you can't beat up on your own monster. You're a monster. So that's the first vicious circle of three. The second one is just if you have a sense of overwhelm. If you're feeling to yourself, there's just too much to do and I can never quite get on top of it. And what happens when you've got too much to do, you kind of, you lose your focus and the more you lose your focus, the more you get a sense of overwhelm and the more you get a sense of overwhelm, the more you lose your focus. And so you just get swept into that vicious circle. So coaching 
can help you really clearly and quickly drive focus in the conversation so you're targeted at doing the stuff that matters the most. And, you know, uh, we'll probably get into this, but the first two or three questions in particular are wonderful to make sure that you spend your time targeting the right challenge rather than just the first challenge that happens to show up. And then here's a third vicious circle that we're trying to untangle. It's just when you've lost a sense of connection to the the bigger picture, the big win, the great work, if you like, about what you're doing. So there's a sense of disconnect. And this is, again, what coaching can do is help you focus on not just the stuff that has impact, but also the stuff that has meaning. So if you're a manager and a leader and you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, yes, my life would be better if I had a team that was more self-sufficient, if I felt less overwhelmed, if I felt more connected to the why of my work, to the great work that I want to do in this world, so that overall I'm able to work less hard and have more impact. If, you, if that rings a bell at all, then actually building a coaching habit could be the right thing for you. Now, you describe it in terms of a habit, and that brings the obvious question. So should should coaching be a, a formal event that I put on my calendar and they put on their calendar, or more of an informal act? Well, you're setting me up nicely here, because there's only, for me, there's only one answer here, which is coaching only really starts to work when it becomes an everyday of working with people. And, you know, the seed for this, Jesse, was planted... Um, years ago for me, the very first book that I wrote, which I self-published as it happens, was called Get Unstuck and Get Going on the Stuff That Matters. And it was effectively a self-coaching tool for people. And, you know, I didn't know anybody. I was really new in starting my own business. I'd only just moved to Canada. So I went, okay, I need to, I need to try and get fancy people to write testimonials for this book. And I sent them out to a few of my heroes, like David Allen, who wrote a blurb, and a guy called Peter Block, now, I'm not sure if people know Peter Block, but for me, he's one of the big minds in this space. He really is thoughtful about how you can show up as an adult, as a grown-up in your own life and do the work that matters. And Peter Block wrote this, this blurb for this first book. He said, look, coaching is not a profession. It's a way of being with each other. Hmm. And I was like, oh, I love that. That's the thing I believe. I didn't even know I believed that, but that's the thing I believe. Now, here's the thing about coaching. I mean... Here's a very simple cycle that describes how coaching works. You generate a new insight, either about yourself or about the situation at hand. Your insight leads to action, positive behavior change. And that positive behavior change leads to an increase in impact, which then hopefully feeds back on itself. So it generates new insights, new, new, um, new, new ways of understanding. If you're waiting to do this every month as part of the formal Mm. coaching session, you're just not going to get that result. Mm. So the metaphor that we use is what you're looking to do here is do drip irrigation, not the occasional flash flood. Hmm. So absolutely, it's an everyday way of working with people. You don't even need, honestly, you don't even need to label this coaching. It's about showing up with a little more curiosity and slowing down your desperate need to jump in and give people advice. Well, you mentioned giving people advice, and I think that is what most of us as leaders do in whether we think of it as coaching or not. Uh, we have these interactions with our, the, the people that work with us, and we're quick to solve their problems and give advice. And yet you've organized this book as a set of seven questions 
Why are questions so important in coaching? Well, you know, the, that, that in some ways that's the essence of what coaching is, which is maintaining an attitude of curiosity for a little bit longer. And it, it comes right down to a, a neurological way of working with people. I mean, neuroscience, as you well know, is fantastic because for once, and for the first time really, we're really seeing what science tells us about how people work and what that tells us about how to lead them, rather than, you know, People like me just making stuff up and going, well, it worked for me once, so here's my universal <laughs> proclamation about what I think good management is. So the first thing to understand about um, asking a question is that when you're, when you're scanning people's brains, you know, using um, uh, FMHI uh, scanning processes, and fundamentally, I mean, this is simplifying it a bit, but fundamentally, if you give somebody advice, pretty much nothing happens in the electrical activity in the brain. It just kind of keeps on churning on. If you ask one of those questions that actually forces people to think, you can really almost see the, the neural connections happening in the brain. You can see people's potential literally expanding in front of you because new neural pathways are being formed around that. So you've got that first part of the science piece around why it works, which is it actually makes brains tick over, it expands their potential and their capacity. The second part, also connected to brain science, is about how people stay engaged. Now, here's my take on it. Basically, five times a second, at an unconscious level, your brain is scanning the environment and is asking just one question. Is it safe here or is it dangerous? Is it safe or is it dangerous? Is it risk or reward? And when it's doing that, if it feels safe, the brain gets engaged. You know, it's like stays in the prefrontal cortex, the conscious mind. It's got full of good ideas. It's assuming positive intent. It's thinking better. If it's in danger mode, well, then it moves into fight or flight mode. So it gets into the amygdala, the lizard brain, as it's sometimes called. Everything's more black and white. The assumption is that other person's an enemy. And honestly, you're not really thinking well. You're just in survival mode. Now, there are four main factors that influence how people read their environment. And it spells the acronym TERRA, T-E-R-A. And we get into this in the book. But here's a quick overview of it. T stands for tribiness. Jesse, are you with me or are you against me? E stands for expectation. Do I know what's about to happen or do I not know? R stands for rank. Do I have a higher status than you or a lower status than you? And A stands for autonomy. You know, do I have some say in this or are you making all the decisions for me? Here's the thing. When you give advice, not always, but often enough, it actually kind of decreases the terror quotient. You know, mm. people feel it's kind of you versus me. You're on that side of the desk. I'm on this side of the desk. Uh, expectation that actually goes up a little bit. Um, but rank goes down. You're the person with the answer. I'm not. And autonomy obviously goes down. You're telling me what to do. If you ask a question, the reverse happens. You know, tribiness goes up. We're trying to solve this together. Rank goes up. You're trusting me to figure this out myself. Autonomy goes up. I've got a say in what the, what the outcome of this is. Expectation may go down a little bit. So one of the reasons why asking questions works is not just, oh, this is some sort of HR touchy-feely thing. It's like this is brain science about how people get engaged. So you're engaging people and you're increasing their potential by asking a good question rather than defaulting to giving advice. I'm not saying never give advice because there's a place for giving advice, absolutely. It's just a massively overworked muscle for most managers and leaders in most organizations. 
Well, we're going to get into some of the seven questions that your book talks about. But before we do, I want to ask about, are there bad coaching questions? And in particular, you talk about the, the topic of rhetorical questions in the book. <laughs> yeah. Or as somebody once said, I think it's just George Carlin, guys. When will the rhetorical questions end? <laughs> That's hilarious yeah. So here's the question. I mean, some questions work better than others. Here's a, here's a, one of the things that makes me bang my head against a wall, which is the fake question. Here's what that sounds yeah. like, Jesse. It goes, Jesse, have you thought of dot, dot, dot? Mm. And honestly, that's not a question, is it? That's just advice with a question mark tacked onto the end. You're just going, I'm trying to slip this in as advice and hopefully nobody will notice. Um, I do think that there are some uh, – kind of tricks of the trade to help you ask a better question. So for me, some of those are uh, start as many questions as you can with the word what. And here's why I say that. If you start with the question why, often you end up making people feel a bit defensive about what's going on, like they have to justify what's going on. Um, If you start with the word how, it means that you're probably already into action mode, trying to solve the problem rather than trying to figure out what's at the heart of the challenge. So starting with the word what is really powerful. And then some, then there are some just sort of insights around how to ask a question well. And um, I'll give you two very quick ones. The first is um, ask it faster than you think. So many people kind of do a, like a three-minute intro lead up, you know, setting out the context, <laughs> setting out their personal philosophy about life, setting out reminiscence of their recent vacation down into the Greek islands before finally getting to the question. So just if you've got a question in mind, kind of cut out all the intro blurb and just leap to the question. Secondly, ask one question. <laughs> just ask one question because most people – you know, they have a degree of anxiety about whether the question is going to land. So they, you know, they let me fire eight questions at you and hope that one of those is going to work. And then thirdly, and gosh, this is all sounds simple, but it's, it's actually harder to do than you think. Once you've asked the question, then be quiet and actually listen to the answer. Hmm. You know, so many people, they've, you know, let's say they've got to the point where they've asked the question and there's this little fist pump inside. You can see it. Yeah, I got the question out there. <laughs> But then they just stop listening because now they're going, oh, my God, I've asked the question. What's the next question to ask? What should I do? And they're just thinking about what the next question is rather than just listen to the answer, which will actually lead you to the next question often, more often than not. Hmm. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the questions. The first one is the what you call the kickstart question. How do you get the coaching conversation happening fast and deep? Yeah, well, that's an important link because if you buy into this idea that coaching is something that needs to be an everyday act, then it has to be something that you do really quickly. You know, 10 minutes or less, five minutes or less. You've got to make it a fast process because nobody has time to do what people often think of as coaching, which is come into my office for a 45-minute lie down on my therapy couch. (laughs) We talk about stuff. It's like, you know what? The key essence here, a little more curiosity, a little less advice giving. So one of the key barriers to coaching quickly, making it 10 minutes or less, is not being able to start the conversation fast enough. Because honestly, if you spent the first eight minutes doing small talk and kind of meandering around what the challenge is, you're never going to get to to the topic that's useful in time. So having a question in your back pocket that will allow you to get to the heart of what's really going on more quickly is really powerful. 
And the question that we offer up, the first question in the book, the kickstart question, is simply, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? And what I love about this, Jesse, is that it is both open. You know, it's an invitation for that other person to start wherever they want. So you're giving them, connecting back to that neuroscience stuff, you're giving them status and rank, and you're giving them autonomy. Um, But you're not saying, tell me anything or chit-chat about whatever you want. You're like, tell me what's on your mind, the thing you're excited about or anxious about or worried about or overwhelmed about. Let's go there. And what you'll find is that if you start most of your conversation with what's on your mind, it's a really fast way to get to the heart of something juicy. And here's a place you can use it, because this is a bugbear of mine. How many people love their weekly one-on-one meetings, either with their direct reports or with their boss? The answer is basically nobody. Everybody's like, oh, God, I wonder what meeting. I've got to <laughs> report out and tell them everything that's going on. They've got to look interested about what's going on. <laughs> and it's kind of a, you know, a cover your ass CYA situation. Not always, but too often. And what's happened is there's been a kind of an agenda set up maybe a month ago, maybe three months ago, maybe 42 years ago. And we just follow that same process and it all gets a bit boring. It all gets a bit tedious. It all becomes a box to tick. If you want to accelerate the power and the impact of those one-to-one meetings, asking the question, so what's on your mind? Where should we start? Is a really powerful way to jump to what potentially is the more interesting stuff. So you can spend your one-on-ones actually solving the thing that needs to be looked at rather than just trading data. What are you looking for in their response to that question? You know, I'm trying to stay open to their response. Because if I'm like, no, you got that answer wrong. Let me ask again <laughs> what's on your mind. And I will keep asking that question until you tell me what I think should be on your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's just annoying. That's just manipulative. It's not, you're not really asking a question. You're just trying to you know, give them the hint that they should be telling you what you want to hear. So you're trying to hold two things as attention. The first is um, allow them to make the choice as to where to go. Allow them to pick that. But as a manager and a leader, you've also got to take some responsibility to make sure that they are working on the stuff that matters from your point of view as well. What I'm going to ask you to do is just slow down on the rush to that. You get to hold that bigger picture. You have the skills and the talents to get that conversation back to that if need be. So, you know, if it hasn't come up and you've only got 10 minutes left, then your time to go, okay, we've talked about a couple of things that's on your mind. Let me tell you what's on my mind. It's project A. We need to kind of get there. So give me the update on that. Tell me, as you think about that, what's the real challenge here for you on project A? And that's another way of, you know, you get to bring your agenda in, but you get them to do the work first. Yeah, that makes sense. So then if we start looking at the next question, which you call the best coaching question in the world. What's that? Exactly. Um, or the or question, A-W-E. Um, and we get to call it the or question because it's actually an acronym of, of the three words of this question. So when I tell you this question and everyone is now leaning into their, <laughs> their headphones, they're like, really the best coaching question in the world? If they're driving along, listening to the podcast in their car, they're, they're, they're a little distracted, so get your eyes back on the road. Everybody's like <laughs> in sweet anticipation of what this question is going to be. And I have to tell you, when I tell you what it is, it's going to be a bit of an anticlimax because you're like, what, is that it? But I'll tell you what I think the best coaching question is in the world, and it is simply, and what else? And what else? 
And here's why and what else is just so powerful. The first is, the first answer somebody gives you is almost never their only answer, and it's rarely their best answer. Hmm. But because so many of us are kind of triggered, fine-wired to kind of leap into action, we just go, oh, first answer, that's fantastic. Look, I asked a question. I'm fantastic. <laughs> We're away. Let's, let's solve that. Mm-hmm. And just this whole piece, remember, a little more curiosity, a little less advice giving, solution providing, a little less action. Just staying curious a bit longer will help you go deeper because the first answer, never their only answer, rarely their best answer. And then second and related to this is, and what else is a fantastically good self-management tool? Because here's the behavior you're trying to do. You're trying to slow down the rush to action. So if you can build anything in that's going to slow down your need to offer up that advice, those solutions, those ideas, so much the better. And if you've managed to ask, and what else? You've delayed your own impetus to try and move into taking control of the conversation. So that's why I think it's the best coaching question in the world. You get this double whammy. One is you deepen the conversation. It's like you supercharge any other question that you've just asked. I mean, the the third question, the focus question, it's what's the real challenge here for you? That's a great question, but it becomes even stronger when you go, great, and what else is the real challenge here for you? And what else is a real challenge here for you? Okay, well, knowing that, what's the real challenge here for you? And even just listening in to me making this conversation up about nothing, you can feel how that conversation just deepened a little bit because we just lingered in exploring what the real challenge was using the power of and what else. So if, if the first answer they give is not usually the best one, then it means you essentially, can you count on the second time they answer it being the, the best one? Or do you need to ask that question multiple times and what else? Well, I think it, I, I think it's a an art as much of there is as a science. All I know is that for most managers and leaders, they give up way too soon. But here's a, a little pattern that I use that that can help. I typically go, I ask a question, what do you want? For instance, that's the, the question number four. What do you want? And what else do you want here? And what else do you want? And after two and what else's. I'll I'll start to close the door. And here's how I close the door. I go, is there anything else you want? Mm. And is there anything else? Is a it, What I'm saying is, look, I'm closing the door unless, <laughs> unless you don't want me to close the door, unless there's something else for us to talk about. But, um, you know, it's a question of the more you practice this, the more you'll get a sense of how long you stay curious for. Because here's one of the anxieties of the, the manager and the leader who asked this, which is like, well, what happens if I ask, and what else? And they go, there's nothing else. Mm-hmm. They're like, What's, what would happen then? And I go, nothing happens then. It just means that you've explored that avenue and you get to ask another question now. So don't worry about that. In fact, celebrate that. Um, don't let them get off too easy. If they've gone, there's nothing else, and you're like, yeah, you're lying. I can see it in your eyes. You're just not trying here. Hold them in that space. But when you get to the end of and what else and they go nothing else, you go, fantastic, okay. So here's the focus question number three. Okay, so knowing all of that, what's the real challenge here for you? You're into something interesting. Yeah, so why is that focus question so helpful to you as a leader? The focus question works really well because uh, I think a uh, twofold way. The first we've almost really covered, I think, in saying that 
for too many of us, we're too busy solving the wrong problems. You know, our organizations are full of people working really hard, coming up with great ideas that solve the first problem rather than the real problem. So some of the things you can do is just slow down that rush to action again. You can hear that's the theme of this podcast. Slow down, everybody. Slow down the rush to advice giving, uh, solution providing. We call, in the book, we call it the advice monster. And you don't even know how much you love to give advice, but you love it. Right. You love it. <laughs> you don't even know what the problem is, but you're pretty sure you know what you should be doing about it. <laughs> trying to slow that down a little bit. And the focus question, what's the real challenge here for you, can really help with that. The first part is it just allows that kind of deepening of the conversation. Because I can bet you that almost every time somebody shows up and says, here's what I'm, I'm struggling with, that's not the real challenge. It's just their best guess. It's the symptoms. It's their, it's their starting point. The second thing is actually the way that that question in particular is constructed. And Jesse, I'll just... I'll show you how it's constructed. I'll give you three different options around the question. The first one you could ask is, so what's the challenge? And you can see as you kind of let that question land, how it's going to give you a certain sort of answer, probably a typical answer. It's like a description of the business issue that's going on. Now you, now you intensify it a little bit. You go, okay, so Jesse, what's the real challenge here? And that's a harder question to answer. You can't just give that kind of glib first thing that occurs to you. You've got to go, oh, okay, the real challenge. Hmm. And already, now we're getting a little deeper into the conversation. But the real twist happens with the final build, which is what's the real challenge here for you? What's the real challenge here for you? And that's when it gets really interesting because by adding the word for you, you do something quite subtle but quite powerful, which is you turn the focus away from the problem to the person who's dealing with the problem. You know, if you're dealing with uh, a problematic person on your staff, let's call her Tracy. Okay, so it's like, what's the challenge? Well, Tracy comes in late every day. It's like, what's the real challenge? You know, I'm honestly, I think Tracy's disengaged from her her job and she's not really she's not really interested and she's just kind of going through the motions. Okay, what's the real challenge here for you? Huh, you know, I'm anxious about holding Tracy accountable and having that tough conversation with her about how she's doing. And it's a very different challenge. But now I get to stop trying to fix Tracy, which of course is impossible because I'm not coaching her but I get to support the person I'm having this conversation with about how she or he is dealing with Tracy. And that becomes a much more powerful piece of coaching and a much more effective piece of management. So this is the part where in the coaching session, this focus question is getting to the point where we're actually helping the, the team solve their own problem uh, rather than us jumping in and solving it for them. Well, you know, you know that saying, everybody knows this saying about, you know, you teach a man to give a man a fish and he has a fish, give a man a fishing rod and he knows how to fish, give a man a stick of dynamite and he gets to blow up the pond and have as much fish as he ever wants. <laughs> um, that, actually, that's my, my variation on it. But you're kind, of, you're kind of following this piece, which is if, you're, if you connect back to those three vicious circles, a sense of overwhelm, a sense of disconnect from the, the real purpose, a sense of an over-dependent team. You can see that if you're just training people to come to you for the answer, then you're just training them to be overly dependent on you. 
if you're helping people to get new insights about themselves and about the situation, that's where growth happens. So you're both making sure that the right problem is getting solved, but you're also helping the person uh, that you're coaching focus in on the, what problem they really need to solve, what they can actually change. You know, there's, there's, just, there's about a bazillion definitions of the word coaching. I, I suspect there's a correlation between how many people are selling coaching and how many definitions <laughs> for coaching there are. Call me a little cynical. Um, but having done a ton of research on which definitions kind of seem to resonate with people, there's one from a UK guy called Sir John Whitmore. And John Whitmore goes, look, look coaching is about helping people to unlock their own potential which is nice because you you can see how he's putting the weight on. It's up to them to do this, not up to you to do it. But then he says this, which I really love. It's like it's helping people to learn rather than teaching them. And that's just a really useful, subtle definition because teaching them, I mean, it's a little semantic, but you can uh, teaching them you could see as this is the download of the answer. Helping them learn means I'm helping you think to figure this out for yourself. And that's where the power lies. And that's where you're in true service of the people that you're managing and leading. So if you think of yourself as a, as a manager and leader, go, look, I've got two jobs. The first is to make sure stuff gets done. The second is to help my people learn so that they grow, they become more self-sufficient, they get to do work that has more impact, and they do work that has more meaning. They do get to do more great work. And to do that, you've got to understand how people learn. And that's by asking these questions and making these new connections. Now, if we just focus on these first three questions, at yeah. this point, as the leader who's uh, new to, to coaching in this, using this technique, I'm getting a little nervous because I'm thinking, okay, all I'm doing is asking questions. Uh, sooner or later, they're going to see through all this and realize that I'm not actually doing anything. But <laughs> these first three questions uh, essentially combine to become a pretty robust script for the coaching conversation. Uh, explain that for us. Well, I will, but I want to come back to what you're saying, which is around the anxiety <laughs> of asking questions, because it's it, you're spot on. There's a whole bunch of people listening to this podcast going, yeah, I'm feeling a little anxious about what you're saying here because <laughs> – you know, I'm trying to add value to my people. And the way I add value is I tell them what to do. I tell them my ideas. I share my experience. And that is a great intention. It just doesn't work that well. And here's that real subtlety that comes as to why it's hard to be more coach-like. Because it sounds easy enough, doesn't it? It's like just give a little less advice. Just stay a little more curious. It sounds like that should be actually pretty straightforward. Right. But actually what happens so often is something more subtle than that. And it actually comes back to that terror model, that neuroscience of engagement. When you are telling people what to do, even though you don't really know what the answer is, even though your answer is probably wrong or at least not exactly on point, uh, even though people don't actually listen to advice that much and don't follow advice that much, even though all those things are happening, it feels a nicer place to be because you are in control of this conversation. You have, so your expectation is up. You are, you're kind of the boss, so your status is up. You know, you're sort of, you have full autonomy because you're in control of this whole thing. So it's a nicer place to be. You're like, look, I'm the big dog here. I'm the smart person. I'm the person with the answer. I'm adding value. I feel good about myself. You're not actually adding that much value most of the time with your advice, but you feel like you are. <laughs> Here's what happens when you ask a question. 
suddenly you're plunged into a sense of ambiguity. Well, wait, was that a good question? Wait, they haven't answered it instantly. Look, that's been one, now two seconds since I asked that. <laughs> oh, my God, it's all going wrong. I've lost control. And in fact, you have lost control because now actually they have the ball. They have autonomy. They're trying to figure out the answer. And then you're like, well, wait, will I understand their answer? What if their answer is a terrible answer and it's, it's the wrong answer? You know, will I know how to respond to any answer that they give me? And there's a whole swell of ambiguity when you ask a question because this is what happens with empowerment. Empowerment is giving people some of your power. Hmm. And, it, you know, it's, it's tricky because, you know, you can also say, well, it seems you, you're giving it to them. You're, you're, you're already not really empowering them. But it's, it's like inviting them to come in and, and take up a degree of autonomy. And the price of autonomy is that you lose some of your autonomy and your sense of control. So it is a harder place to sit or stand but you're doing it in the finest traditions of servant leadership, which is I'm doing this for the sake of my people. I'm willing to put my discomfort aside to allow them to grow, to allow them to feel empowered, feel autonomous, and to allow me to get the benefit of not only growing other people, but actually to have them become less dependent on me. So there's a benefit here. You just have to sit with that ambiguity, and it's a little tricky. Yeah, it, it it feels tricky. So when you when you kind of put those three questions together, I think it it sort of f- helps people understand how the conversation might flow. Yeah, so let's do that. So this is we've got this little section in the book which is like, look, just this is a, almost a script. It's that straightforward, and it goes something like this: Somebody comes into your office. Jesse comes into my office, and I go, Jesse, great. It's a regular one to one. I love these. So tell me, uh, what's on your mind, Jesse? He goes, Oh. Michael, I am so glad you asked me. I've got this really tricky podcast uh, guest coming up and I'm really kind of anxious about it. I'm worrying about it. I'm procrastinating, preparing. I haven't read the book yet, even though it's in 20 minutes time. But, uh, <laughs> and uh, I go, okay, so and, uh, like, as you may not know this about me, everybody, but I, I run my own podcast. So like, I'm like, oh, I have so many ideas because, you know, I've been doing a podcast now for almost 10 years. Like, I'm full of wisdom about podcasting. I'm like, oh, this is my (laughs) chance to add value to Jesse. I'm about to download a decade's worth of podcasting experience. (laughs) But I catch myself. I resist that. And I go, okay, well, I can understand your anxiety, Jesse, but let me ask you, what's the real challenge here for you? Jesse goes, oh, you know, it's – I, have, I haven't read the book and I, I don't feel like I'm fully prepared for this. I go, oh, yeah, got it. Okay. What else is a challenge here for you? Well, you know, I feel like I'm treading water a little bit on my podcast. It's a bit same-ish, so I want to try and mix it up. I'm kind of feeling frustrated about that. I'm like, oh, yeah, fair enough. Um, what else? What else is the real challenge here for you? Um, and it's like, you know, the, re- I saw the other thing that's going on is I've got this piece of work that I, I should have got done by now. And I'm kind of procrastinating on it. And actually doing the podcast is just making me feel more anxious about getting that piece of work done. I'm like, right, right. So of those three, you've got some real challenges there. But if you had to pick one, what's the real challenge here for you? And he's like, ooh, okay, what is the real challenge here? The real challenge here is this piece of work that I'm procrastinating on. That's what's really tangling me up. I'm Mm. like, great, okay. And what's happened is we've got somewhere interesting I don't even need to now provide the piece of advice about how to fix that because he'll come up with that. He's like, oh, so I just need to give Bob a quick email to say I need to delay this by three hours. I'll have it to you by the end of the day. I'm like, I think you're right. 
And that's it. What was that, a three-minute piece of coaching? Just using that script. And here's the script again without the kind of mock conversation with myself. So what's on your mind? So what's the real challenge here for you? And what else? And what else is a real challenge? Okay, so knowing all of that, what's on your mind? Oh, no, sorry, what's, what's the real challenge here for you? And you're just going to notice it just is a way of quickly deepening that conversation. Does that make sense, Jesse? I kind of ended up talking to myself and playing nine different <laughs> roles, like a, the most complicated radio play ever. <laughs> and I can't even do different accents. I was going to say the voices sounded the same as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't. You didn't give us any voice variation, but I think that was uh, very helpful to illustrate and and see how those questions can flow into a natural conversation. What if? Uh, the conversation is not happening in person. If the if you're responding to an email or uh, some other kind of electronic notification, do the same principles and questions apply? So I'm going to say yes. Basically, the same principles apply, and that's going to be a huge relief for people because they're like, "Yeah, I have a remote team. I'm on the road the whole time. I barely get to see the people I, I'm managing and leading, or the team I'm part of. Yeah, I don't suddenly have time to sit down with them face to face." But I think this can be really powerful over over the phone. I mean, honestly, the coaching I do is almost entirely phone based, never in person. But really cunningly, it can be great for electronic communication as well. Because actually, we often get emails that, in effect, are saying, Michael, give me the answer to this. And obviously, there's a time and a place where giving the answer is the appropriate thing to do. And it is the overworked muscle for most of our busy managers and leaders. So now when you get one of those long, rambly emails that normally takes you 20 minutes to untangle and unpack and figure out what it's really about and then give the advice, now you just go, wow, Jesse, big email here, and I can see there's a lot going on for you. Let me ask you, what's the real challenge here for you? Send. <laughs> yeah, and that's the reaction you get. When yeah. it, the, it, the person kind of laughs almost embarrassingly, and they're like, what the? Have, have you just read a new book? Have you just been on a training course? And I'm like, yeah, I have. And I'm no longer going to try and spend my time doing your work to figure out what's at the heart of your challenge. I'm going to hold the space for you to do that. So here's another question that I love. This is, I think, number five in the book. It's called the lazy question. And it's almost paradoxical because the lazy question sounds, when I tell you what it is, it sounds the opposite of encouraging laziness. But it's, you get to ask, how can I help? Or what do you want from me? And the secret source here is knowing that you can always say no to a request that's made. But you get another one of these long rambly emails that drives you crazy and you go, oh, Wow, a lot on your mind here. I can see that. Just so I'm clear, what exactly do you want from me? Send. Hmm. And they're like, wow, okay, now I have to come back and make a clear request rather than just a kind of brain dump of stuff on the page. And that becomes more powerful for them and it becomes more powerful and easier for you to use for you. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of what these questions are doing are helping the person that you're coaching go through the same problem-solving course of actions that we as leaders typically do. If you're a good problem-solver, you're doing these things. You're focusing. You're narrowing it down to what is the real issue here. So um, all we're doing is, is helping them start to flex those muscles, exercise those muscles. Yeah, and you're doing that by 
resisting the temptation to, in inverted commas, add value and give them the answer because that provides a short-term relief, but it just creates long-term pain. (laughs) They suffer, you suffer as a result of that. Well, the book is The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. We've only scratched the surface in this book. We've, we've talked mostly about three questions, uh, referenced a few more. The book obviously goes into a lot more detail with lots of great tips. But uh, Michael, if there are people listening who want to get your book or join your audience, where can they find out about you and how can they connect with you? That's brilliant, and I appreciate the, uh, the invitation. So I'll give you three places to potentially go. The first is if you just want to find out about the book, thecoachinghabit.com, really simple to remember. And whether or not you pick up the book, and of course I would love you to do that, but there's also a ton of free resources, videos, podcasts, downloads, reports, you can get there as well without any obligation to actually pick up the book. So thecoachinghabit.com. If you're interested more generally about Box of Crayons, um, our website is boxofcrayons.biz, which is B-I-Z or B-I-Z, depending on where you live in the world. Um, our focus as a company is our training programs that teach busy managers and give them the tools to coach in 10 minutes or less. And if you're looking just to kind of hang out in social media with me, the place, the two places I hang out most, one is LinkedIn. And in fact, I'm the only Michael Bungay Stanya on LinkedIn and probably <laughs> in the entire world. So you can find me there. Um, and I also show up on Twitter a little bit. So I'm at Box of Crayons. Excellent. The book again is The Coaching Habit. Michael Bungay Stanier, it's been great fun. Thanks for joining us on Engaging Leader. Jesse, it's been a pleasure. You have been an engaging coast and a leading coast. So you are living the brand. I loved it. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Engagers, we'll provide the information and links that Michael mentioned on our show notes for this episode, which you can find on our website at engagingleader.com. Our thanks to Monica Harrison, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers. <laughs>